You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. He's in Chicago, Yes. but with his great affiliation north to Green Bay, David Harrow joins us, portfolio manager, beleaguered on the international front. David, let's do the baseball right away here. Brewers traded away their star to the Baltimore Orioles, you know, contracts and all that stuff. Do the Brewers have a chance to redo it again? Of course they do, Tom. <laughs> now, we also traded away our manager to the Cubbies. What was that about? Which... I don't know. I mean, you know what? It was a good opportunity for Mr. Council. But um, the Brewers are on the ascent. The Packers are on the ascent. Badger basketball. All is looking good in Wisconsin. Right. We won't mention the boiler up. They took it to the Wisconsin Badgers here the other day. Fondalock. Let's talk about the challenges of international investing. I'm not going to mince words, David. And I want to make clear, folks, David Harrow and I go back ages and ages. Boy, it's been a challenge for you. When does your bet on European banking workout. What's the catalyst mm. to create value in European mm. banking? Well, actually, the stocks have started performing over the last couple of years, and we've been overweight literally since the European uh, sovereign debt crisis of what was that, 2011, 2012, 2013. Recall back then there was a belief that the pigs were all going to default. Uh, Portugal, Italy, Spain, Greece were all going to, maybe even France was going to default. And none, none of this really happened. But during the better part of that decade, the banks did have to build capital like they did all over the world. And that kind of prevented some growth and more money going to shareholders. They still performed okay in terms of business operations. Now here we are 10, 12 years later, we see banks that are fully capitalized, meaning that whatever they generate in profits, they could either use to grow their businesses or they could use to give money back to the shareholders. And that's exactly what's been happening. And at the same time, what we see is now with higher interest rates, don't forget Europe had negative nominal, not real, Europe had negative nominal interest rates. And today we're well into the three. So I think all those things that were headwinds for the European banking sector are now tailwinds, which means that when we see the six, seven times price to earnings ratio, 60 to 70%, but price to book, nine, 10% dividend yields, this is in an environment where earnings are growing and where capital is being generated and shareholder returns are increasing. So I do think still, now we're about equal weight, we're not as overweight as we were because we trimmed a little into the strength, but I still think this is one of the great pockets of value if you believe that a business is worth the cash flow streams which they generate. Which and David, give us, give us your sense of the underlying 
European economic outlook here because a lot of folks, they recognize the value in European um, equities and, and debt and just asset values, but just not sure about the growth over the next several years. How do you think about that? Well, first of all, you have to look at Europe on whole, where you have various countries grown at different rates. Southern Europe, believe it or not, is doing pretty good. Spain, Portugal, even Italy growing one, two, three percent. Then, of course, the biggest economy yep. in Europe, Germany, is on its back. Yep. It's on its back as it was a couple decades ago. And it's on its back for a number of reasons, starting probably with their energy policy. But anyway, you have the situation where people are judging European businesses by where they're based, not by where they're making money, not where they're doing business, not where their cash flow streams come from. So people don't want to invest, say, in a German company, even though a business like SAP, Siemens, Allianz, of course, Mercedes, BMW, these are global businesses that do business all over the world, that are growing, that have good return structures, that are selling at very, very depressed valuations. I believe the DAX is at just 10 or 11 times earnings. And when you compare this to the German 10-year, where is it about two and a quarter? You, so if you look at that earnings yield of the DAX, about 10%, and you look at the German 10-year, that, that yield, uh, uh, equity yield, is about seven and three quarters percent. If you do that for the United States, you get about 20 or 30 basis points. And it shows you the valuation differential that exists uh, in places like Germany versus the US. And I would argue it's unwarranted given that many of these companies in particular don't just do business in Germany or in Europe, they're global businesses that do commerce all over the world. So, David, let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about Japan. I mean, when I started my career on Wall Street in the mid-'80s, it was you, you had to do a tour of duty in Tokyo. That was how important that market was. Boy, that's not been the case for the last 25 years or so, but I'm starting to hear more and more people, including Warren Buffett, talk about opportunities in Japan. How do you guys look at that market? Well, like you, I started my career in the mid-'80s. 1986, I started Me my too. career. The June 16th. James Bond was on his final. Well, how come I'm 45 and you're, <clears throat> no. Uh, I started my career in 86, international investing. My first fund I invested in was started in 1987, Des Moines, Iowa, at what, what was then called the Banker's Life. I believe Japan was somewhere around 70, 75% of the international, of the IFA index. And it traded at about 60 or 70 times earnings five times book value, and it had an average return on equity, this is important, of around 7 or 8%. The market then peaked in 1989. Remember, there was a huge bubble, a property bubble, equity market bubble in Japan. It peaked at the end of December in 1989. The uh, Nikkei was almost 40,000, just under 40,000, at 70 times earnings, five times book, 7.5%. Uh, ROE. Fast forward to today, we're down to about 14 times earnings. Okay, much better. No longer a bubble. We're at about two, two and a quarter right. times book. But the return on equity of an average Japanese company is just eight or eight and a half percent. Now, there's all kinds of talk about Japanese companies rediscovering the need to e increase 
profitability, returns, shareholder returns, right. etc. It has gotten better, but we're talking yeah. about ROE moving from seven to eight or eight and a half, nine percent. Right. Still subperforming the rest of the right. world, making it difficult for a value investor to find value. David, you've got an immense advantage that you're not on the left coast to the right coast. <laughs> you're smack dab, a legit flyover zone as well. What does Wall Street get wrong within the three zip codes in New York City? What's the number thing we get wrong about the American productivity experiment? Well, first of all, I, I mean, quite clearly, there is a uniqueness about America. And this is why everyone, this is why we have a border crisis, folks, because people are fleeing command economic structures where they're economically oppressed and they're going to economic freedom. Uh, it's, we're not as free as we used to be, uh, but we're still one of the most free from an economic perspective. It still is a land of opportunity. Right. Uh, we still have huge upward mobility, and so people want to come here. And we don't even have the, the safety nets that, say, Europe has or Canada has. <clears throat> we, have we have an opportunity society, and we do forget about this. Right. It's not perfect by any means, but it's far better yeah. than any other place in the world. David, I've got to leave it there. David Harrow, thank you so much with a real look in there. As Paul mentioned, Germany, a real focus of his uh, portfolio. Mr. Harrow is Deputy Chairman, uh, Chief Investment Officer, International Equities, Harris Associates. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.